my second course building, Belay, Midranger, Alabama. And knowing that there's probably not another kid in her class that can do that excites me, but it also breaks my heart. You know, like other kids don't know that you can walk by this plant and that's a radish. You know, they look at that as something that's a weed, not realizing that their parents go to the grocery store and buy that. My daughter will say, like, that's ready to go and she will pull it out of the ground and eat it. And that's like, for me, like when I hear like teachers talking about like where they're at on their education levels or because an adult says you need to be at this point at this grade, I'm like, yeah, but how about me and you, Miss Teacher, go out into a field and let's see where you're at. Let's let's see if you can point out what can serve make you survive when this education thing fails, you know. And that's gives us excitement. Like my daughter knows when to say something needs more salt. You know, my myself <laughs> and my my ex wife is a pastry chef, you know, but a very talented chef as well. And so my daughter, like, she'll taste my food and say, like, that needs more salt. I'm like, you're right. It totally needs more salt. That must be the cutest thing in the entire yeah, world. Like, you seven-year-old, seven you, seven you know, or my son will sit there and eat, like, his chicken skin off a chicken thigh and then be like, take mine. And be like, yours could have been a little more crispier. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you're right. God, you know, like, I'm getting critiqued by a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. But then that makes me so happy because, you know, I was a terrible student. I was like probably the worst student ever. But there's something that drives me in the food world where my kids are already, my kids have already surpassed me to where I am now. You know, like when I first moved to Napa, they are there. So the world is their oyster. And my kids have tried oysters and wasn't their thing. But I didn't know what an oyster was until I was 24. Seven years old, so <laughs> right where now kids, you know, at various ages, they're just eating chicken nuggets and fries, and parents yes. are buying it and you know throwing it in the nuke and and serving it to the kids because they're whining about you know carrots and radish. I, I can't see a you know kids eating radishes with like butter or anything like that. But if the, if yeah. you bring it and introduce them like you have been doing, I think that's you know, that's a, that's a gift you're giving to your kids to have that, you know, knowledge. Yeah. And like I said, you know, it wasn't uh, a thing where me and my wife, we, we didn't decide we want our kid to grow up like this. That was just the lifestyle that we lived. Uh, you know, we had a garden in our backyard. We happened to, at that point, work, we both worked at Meadowood. So we had that garden at our disposal, if you will. And then also we lived across the street from the French Laundry. So, like, my daughter grew up, like, she learned to walk in the French Laundry Garden with the gardeners, you know? So, like, our morning started with, us, like, going across the street and the gardener pulling wheat, uh, pulling things. And it wasn't necessarily us deciding that's how we want our kids to grow up. It was, again, a, a two chefs whose lifestyle fit that profile. And it worked out to the fact that, like our kids when they want snacks in our house it's not like they go to the refrigerator my daughter eats red bell like bell peppers like they're apples as long as they're good um you know like snap peas are like those go through like 
instead of potato chips, they have snap peas, you know, radishes. Um, cherry tomatoes are not safe at our house. Like, if we have an idea for cherry tomatoes, we need to buy a little extra because those will be gone before they ever make it to a dish. Um, you know, seasoning, like, this is too spicy. This needs too, this is too salty. This is, the pasta's overcooked. Like, these are things that our kids <laughs> judge myself and my ex on because they grew up on this food, you know, and that may like it. Sometimes I'm like, what do you know? Right. Like, you don't know anything, but then other, I'm like, what? But then other times like, we're just like, that is the coolest thing ever that you know that, you know, and that's, it, it, it's way more joy than I ever thought. Like, I didn't know what kind of dad I would be. And I'm not necessarily the award-winning dad. You know, I'm the chef dad who's always gone, but I think with me and my, you know, my partner, we have made that point to, again, because this is a new generation, like we found a way to both work all the time and yet bring our kids into it to where they can still be kids, but they also are around food. You know, they're not necessarily the kids that are stuck in a room in the restaurant, which we don't want, but we also want them to like know what good food is and know where their food comes from and understand that a pig is a pig and a cow is a cow and a chicken is a chicken and an egg is an egg. And that, you know, growing your own food, like carrots, radishes aren't something to be taken advantage of. Like we need to take it, like don't take advantage of a carrot. Somebody out there somewhere grew that carrot. So don't waste it, you know, and I think my kids get that. No, what a, what a better way to, I mean, amazing. What, what a better way to start a podcast, but uh, we kind of been live through that entire uh, segment. I'd like to welcome everybody uh, to Late Night with Chefs. Hello, I'm everybody. Truffle Boy and Doug reporting for duty. And today we are bringing some Bay Vibes to you guys. Uh, Doug, do you want to introduce our guest chef of the evening? I'd love to. Hello, everybody. It is great to be back. Uh, what a crazy day it has been. If you've been following our story today, uh, we had some food shoots, some beach shoots. So it's awesome to be hanging out with you guys tonight. Uh, as Vlad said, we have some Bay vibes in the house tonight. Uh, we have Chef Kyle joining us out of Napa. How's it going, Chef? Very well. How are you? Uh, we're doing very well. It was awesome to kind of hear that intro. Like Truffle Boy said, no better way to start a podcast. Um, Thank you. <laughs> what an inspiring story about, you know, teaching your kids and uh, kind of teaching the next generation, as we often talk about on this podcast. Um, so, Chef, you know, it kind of hinted on a little bit, but, uh, you know, what is your journey? That's what we're all here for. So kind of what's the start of that for you? Oh, so this, this this whole journey I'm on, this, this this chef thing I'm on, was an accident. Completely a gigantic accident. This sh- should have never happened at all. Um, you know, from a young age, I thought I was going to join the Marine Corps. Uh, that was the goal. I did everything I was supposed to do to join the Marine Corps. You know, I joined the Sea Cadets. My dad was a Marine. My stepdad was a Marine. We did all the steps. And then I graduated in 2003. 2003, my dad was deployed in Iraq. And he was like, dude, you can't enlist. You need to take some time and wait until I get back. 
I said, okay. And in the meantime, he said, my mom was like, you need to find a job. And I was like, oh, that, you know, I was like, I don't even know what that means. I was, I, what? A. B. What's, what's job? that? Yeah. I was like, what's a job? I was like, what? And she's like, you need to make a resume. I'm like, what's a resume? I was like, what? I was like, English I don't even know. I, I was so confused. I remember one time, and it's very ironic that I remember this because I don't remember anything from this class that I was in in high school. I kind of dicked around on my senior year and hit this point where I missed all the elections and the only thing available was this cooking class. I don't remember any, I don't remember the teacher's name. I don't remember what the class was. I don't remember ever cooking anything, washing dishes, holding a knife. I don't remember anything, but I do remember this teacher pulling me aside one day and be telling me, you are not taking this class seriously. Like you're going to fail this class. And I remember looking her in the face, like as square as I could and be like, I don't need to know this. I will never be a chef. None of this matters to me at all. And now I'm like 20 years later, I'm like, God, like what a, uh, what a twist. I owe that teacher like, an apology. Yeah, I'm like, God, like if I could find her, I don't even know. I, I couldn't even tell you what her name started with, you know? Um, so my dad was in Iraq. I started dishwashing or I started busting tables and that uh, morphed into dishwashing. And then as it happens with so many people, you know, dishwashing turned into that prep guy didn't show up. I started prep cooking and my first two weeks working as a line cook, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was at a shitty little restaurant, but there was something about working on the line. I went home and I told him, I was like, I'm not joining the Marine Corps. I was like, I want to be a chef. And I didn't even know what that meant. Like, I have no food memories. You know, we, me and my mom talk, we don't remember any food, like eating dinner as a family or having these food memories. I didn't grow up picking green beans with my grandma or cooking or having any ambitions or fine dining or anything. Like, there, it was just, there's something about the drive and Something about the kitchen culture that just really, like, my first two weeks in, I knew that's where I belong. Um, what was it like kind of breaking that to your father, who is probably, you know, he's ready for you to become a Marine like him and, you know, everyone else? It, 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 I, you know, it. I think it was hard hearing that because I broke that. I, I was the first one in my family since World War One to be that. I broke it, you know, like I kind of like gave that last name away, if you will. Yeah. Um, and it, and it did take, um, I, you know, I've been cooking for 20 years. My daughter's eight, almost eight. It took until my daughter was one year old for my parents to really, um, kind of like acknowledge accept my cooking. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. it was, it, it, you know, at first it was, I was cooking and everybody really liked where I was going. Uh, and cooking in, there was something about the, the pressure of the cook. Like I got to do everything that I would have to do in the Marine Corps anyway. You know, I, I was held to a standard. I had a schedule. If I wasn't there, somebody would be there to let me know that I fucked up royally. Um, you know, like I was part of a team. I was a things that I was taught, but also I wasn't a Marine, you know, that was the best part. Um, right. 
like, you know, it, for me, it was an outlet and I had always was that weird kid, you know, that wanted to be an artist, but I didn't even know about food. Food was like over here. I didn't even know about it. So I like tried, tried writing that didn't work. I tried art that didn't work. You know, I tried all of these things, poetry, all this stuff. And it wasn't clicking. And then I was like, okay, I want to be a history. I want to do this. I want to do this. And then when I finally found cooking, cooking, I was like, okay, this is different, you know? And being the obsessive person that I am, I'm like, okay, this is, I like this. Like I felt comfortable in the kitchen. Like I felt like I was one of those weird individuals that really with the chaos, I felt at home, like in the chaos, you know, you got instant gratification in chaos, you know, that like, you never know what you're walking into. You always know you're set up for failure, but with hard work, with push, with drive, like you can make it happen. And then also like this on this other level, you know, like I was giving people something I can never have, which is happiness. You know, like I didn't, I couldn't gratify my own happiness, but I, I saw people happy. I saw people leaving and that I think made a huge change for me too. Um, and that was really what drove me to like, it was just, I found a place that was my home. Like for some reason it clicked and I couldn't wait to wear my, like my first chef coat, you know? And it was like, it was just like, I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And I dedicated, like at that moment, I dedicated my entire life. And yeah, I I know a lot of people say this, uh, but like kitchens did save my life. You know, it kept me out of trouble, you know, and you hear that the restaurant didn't save my life, but you know, a lot of people ask me, like, how did you stay out of trouble? I didn't have time to get in trouble. Nor yeah, did I have the time to get stove. in trouble, you know? Yeah. Me yeah. and my roommate, we worked from 6 a.m. until 2 a.m. every day. So that didn't leave us a lot of time to do anything stupid. And then we, with what money we had left, we really didn't have money to go out and do anything stupid anyway. And so that, and that's one of the things that drove me too, is just like I always had somewhere to be. And even as a young cook, you know, the chefs would take me under the wing knowing I would be there, you know, coming into work for free. You know, like I would start asking, like, can you teach me how to butcher meat? Can you teach me how to do this? And they're like, yeah, but I'm not going to pay you to do that. So I'd start showing up free. And as soon as I started doing that, the chef started taking the initiative to boosting my, like making me feel like I was part of the team. And there's nowhere else I wanted to be. And that's right. what built me to where I am now. Is like I still to this day, like I feel more at home in the kitchen than I do anywhere else. And it yeah. wasn't until my daughter was born that my parents finally came out. And there was a moment where we lived across the street from the French Laundry. And, you know, uh, six months before, my parents were like, okay, you have a kid now. When are you going to start? like thinking about your career and your future. I'm like, I, I'm doing pretty good. You know, like I'm the chef at the number two luxury hotel in the country. You know, we're number 25 in the world. I think I'm doing okay. You right. Know? And they're still asking. And they're like, you're yeah, number but you're two in the cook. country. Like, they're still sure, like, but I was like, I'm yeah. still like I'm doing, I think we're doing okay. When are you going to so be a Marine though? To me and my, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I think I'm doing okay. And then my parents came out to visit 
And as we walk across, like we're walking past the French Laundry Garden, Thomas Keller's doing an interview, and he comes, he stops the interview, he walks up to me and my my then wife, my daughter, who he knows very well, and my parents. And he like stops and he introduces himself to my parents. And my he's like, Chef, how are you? I'm like, Chef, good to see you. And he's like, Hey, Harper. And he's like, At that moment, my parents are like, Oh, maybe this cooking thing is something. You know, all of a sudden, my parents are proud of me. And at this point, I'm like. It took Thomas Ooh. Keller, really? Come on. Yeah, I was like, come on, I mean, man. Like, God, dude. I can only imagine, yeah. you know, Thomas Keller and oh, his yeah. whites and long apron. Yeah. and Yeah, like the long apron the and hair. walking across the, like. I mean, like, if I that's not, you know, it, like, trotting around head, the like, garden. It, like, yeah. He's got that big post where the bees are. And, like, he walked around it and, like, walked. I was like, Chef, how are you? Hi, Harper. And they, like, introduced him. My parents like, oh, my God, my chef's done. I'm like, really? Yeah. Really? Uh, whatever you know hey, so, hey, Thomas, we couldn't have done this like two years ago man exactly so but yeah that's that's kind of how that's like the short story and there's a there's a lot that's happened in between but that's kind of here we are now 20 years yeah. later yeah and i mean what a grind as you were kind of yeah. having those you know first two weeks in the industry you know what do you remember what was the you know your outlook on the industry at that time you know how did you find out about, you know, Thomas Keller and Meadow and, you know, Napa and all this? Like what, what were those sources that you were like excited and getting this information from? Sure. Um, okay. So like I said, I didn't know anything about food. Like I didn't know anything about, I didn't know anything about the restaurant business. Let it, like, if you were to tell me you're a cook and you're a chef, to me, you're the same fucking person, you know? So let alone the fine dining world, like I, no idea, no idea. This is before Ratatouille. This is before the Food Network. Like I had, I didn't know anything. Like I used to take MREs for lunch, you know, meals ready to eat from the, like, it's like, so I finally, like I was working at a place called the Fox and Hound, you know, it's like a really nice Applebee's, you know, and like I was, that's where I fell in love with this shit, you know? Like, that's where I was indoctrinated with this whole, like, you know, me telling the, the kitchen manager, I was like, oh, I'm supposed to go on a date with my girlfriend tonight. And I, I, you know, I opened, they're like, yeah, but, you know, you want to be a chef, you want to work here. I'm like, yeah, I do. Like, yeah, well, we need you to work tonight. I'm like, okay. You know, and then finally I progressed to go across the parking lot to a outlet mall. And there was a restaurant there, and I worked at the outlet mall. And I got my first chef coat, and I was so proud to wear the chef coat. Like, I remember my girlfriend at the time, this is 20 years ago, like, drove by my apartment and I like threw this stupid chef coat on and walked out. And I was so excited to be wearing this stupid chef coat. And now I'm like looking, I was like, it was like see through cotton, it was so bad, you know. But like, <laughs> with like the big so white buttons, bad. yeah, the big white buttons, yeah, like, yeah, down, yeah, like, yeah. Way below. Oh, yep. I was like so proud to be wearing this chef coat. I was like, I'm the shit. Like I got my first pair of chef pants, yeah. like the chili pepper ones and my first <laughs> pair of Crocs. Like I was like, I'm in Black it. Black Crocs, like, I'm, chili yeah, pepper, I'm like, chef I'm pants. part of this oh, shit yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. But then, so at this restaurant at the outlet mall, there was a Barnes and Noble and I'd be sitting on break and I'd be like, you know, like you can only wander around in your douchey chef pants and your douchey clogs and your chef coat that doesn't fit you. Right. They're like two walk sizes around. too big. Yeah, you don't like yeah. walk around the outlet mall so much thinking you're cool. Like you see your fruit from high school, you're like, Oh yeah, what's up? Oh, I'm going to college, I'm a chef, you know? 
Yeah. Uh, so then I'd start going to Barnes and Noble and I'd go straight to the kitchen book, the kitchen books, having no idea what I'm looking for at all. Uh, right. And then I found the French Laundry Cookbook and I looked at this book and I was like, what the fuck? Like, excuse my language, but I was like looking at this book and the pictures and I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. I was like, all right, I'm never cool. I was like, I don't, even, I don't even know what any of this means. I was like, like looking at the words, no idea what they mean. Looking at the picture, the garnish, everything. I'm like, close the book. I was like, I don't even know what. Yeah, cool. Put it back. And then I started reading Kitchen Confidential from Anthony Bourdain at the bookstore because I couldn't afford to buy the book. So on my break, I'd go to Barnes and Noble, read the book, earmark it, put it back. Next day, go back, read it, read it. And again, this would be before Top Chef and all this thing. So, you know, as a kid who had no idea what he was looking for, I didn't have those, like, those ambitions to, like, go outside of my world. So right. I did what I thought I needed to do, and I worked in Tucson at the best I could do. Um, you know, like, I, I definitely sourced the best restaurants I could and ended up working at some of the best restaurants in Tucson. You know, I ended up helping Sam Fox, who owns Fox Restaurant Concepts, open his second restaurant, which was at the time, like, voted best restaurant in Tucson and all these things. And, you know, I tried my best not knowing what else was out there. Um, fast forward a couple of years, I was working at the West in La Paloma, which is a hotel in Tucson. And, like, I, I was hitting that ceiling where I was like, okay, there's something else out there, you know, like I, I, and then I watched an episode of uh, top chef and they were at a restaurant called bricks in Napa. I had no idea what bricks was. I had no idea what Napa was. I Googled it. So the French laundry is down the street from there. I was like, okay, that book I saw this restaurant. Fuck it. Turned in my two weeks at the Western La Paloma. I had never been to the Bay area. I'd never been to San Francisco, never been to Napa, never been really traveling i turned in my two weeks like an idiot jumped on a plane with nowhere to go with my knives my clogs at this point i was wearing checkers you know and i was like i hope they have wait you didn't get I on the have. plane with your chili peppers nah i had passed that like somebody uh, told me that's damn chef i moved past it i still have them don't worry they're shorts now i wear them around the house uh, <laughs> there you go <laughs> But, uh, Fourth of July, know, chef and his chili peppers. Yeah, exactly. Grilling yes. the food. I love it. So I got on the plane, flew to SFO, took a taxi to a Bricks because I saw it on Top Chef. <laughs> Walked in the front door like, "Hey, here's my resume." Uh, you know, got a job there, and that set me up for everything. And I think it, it was like that weird, you know, something lined up at the point where I said, okay, if I don't walk off this ledge, like I'm going to become a fucking hotel chef, you know? And like, there's nothing wrong with that. But like, I knew I wanted more. I didn't even know what that meant, you yeah. know, but I wanted more. I knew. And I told myself on the plane there, I was like, okay, they have a, they, they have a garden. So, from what I've researched and learned about the French laundry has a garden and bricks has a garden. So I'm only going to work at restaurants that have gardens. I, that became a, uh, uh, one of those unobtainable goals. Like I always tell my folks now, like set unattainable goals. 
you know, like I'm only going to work in places where I can grow my own food. And got to Bricks, worked there, met my wife, had kids. And that opened up the world. You know, like I experienced Napa Valley and I started just like embracing it and really going for it. And, you know, to me, there was no such thing as a stupid question. And, you know, I worked for like, if I was scheduled at three, I'd show up at 11, you know, to make sure that I could make sure my mise en place was done, but also that I could watch the, the chef butcher a pig or a goat or a lamb or be out there harvesting with the, you know, the gardeners or just taking it all in. And then that ended up me staging at the French laundry that ended up me getting to work at Meadowood doing dinners with stock with pen just by being like not turning down an opportunity. And I think that's what a right. lot of coaches don't realize is like, you know, if you put in the work and you keep yourself open to opportunities, like the world will open up. Like I've gotten to do, I have surpassed every goal that I have ever wanted. Like as a cook, when I first started out to where I am now, I have surpassed every goal that I would ever thought was imaginable, you know, like for the, since the beginning of bottle rock, you know, I worked the culinary stage, you know, where I'm working with the most famous chefs and celebrities and doing things like, and I find myself asking myself, how did I get here? Like, there's no, like there, if you look at the training, like there's no reason I should be here. Like in high school, I said, I will never be a chef. And now I'm working with Michael Lapaggio and his brother, helping him get his music plots ready to go on stage. Um, you That's know, helping, up. you know, helping, um, uh, you know, Morimoto bring the gigantic Ahi on stage with two gigantic sumo wrestlers to set a world record with the guy from Guinness. Like, I'm like, how am I here? You know, helping Imagine Dragons set up to go, like, it's just, I think it, I set an unattainable goal and that led me to where I am now to where, you know, I have surpassed anything I could have thought I would ever know about food, flavor, um, guest relations, hospitality. Like I, it's, it's, it's been, a, it's been one of it's, I have zero regrets. Yeah, and I liked how you kind of talked about, you know, we obviously have a due diligence to our young culinarians in the field and kind of bringing them on and continuing this level of growth. And one of the things that we've talked about before, and you kind of hinted at, at it as well tonight, was that you kind of were open to all opportunities. You never know where an opportunity is going to take you. And saying no to something that you may deem as small in the moment could be detrimental, you know, down the line exactly and that's i never excuse me one second yeah um but i never said no to an opportunity um and, you know and i've had a lot of people tell me that i was in the right place at the right time and that's that's fair you know but i put myself in those opportunities if that makes sense right like you I, put yourself in the place exactly like i saw an opportunity and i was offered if I wanted to take it and I took it, you know, and that's been a huge thing. And it's not about taking an opportunity that's going to screw somebody over by any means, but it's also been, you know, 
taking yourself out of your comfort zone. I remember the first time I was asked to do a dinner with Jacques Pan, I was like, <laughs> who? Wait, I was like, dinner with what? Me? Yeah, I was like, what? I was like, uh, what do you, what, what do you, what, 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 what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Like, you want me to, what? And then, but I took myself out of that comfort zone. And then the second was super cool, you know, and it, it's super chill. And it's funny how, like, expect, like, I think the restaurant business is one of those places where you're allowed to take yourself out of your comfort zone. And if you make a mistake, that's, that's for the best. You know, like a lot of other places, like, you know, we're not doctors. We're not saving the world. We're not trying to send people to the moon. Like if we make a mistake, somebody's might be like that tasted like shit, you know, but right. like we're allowed to push ourselves to the limit of like what we can do and what we can prove to ourselves. Um, right. And that I think is amazing. It's an amazing opportunity. You know, like I grew up in the desert <laughs> and now I can walk through a garden and not only know like what something is, but I can know how it's grown, what's edible, what's not. And that's because I put myself out there and I, you know, it, the hospitality is like that last weird world where you get what you want out of it you know like you just want to get paid and you want to just get tipped and you want to just do the job like that that's there and you can do it but there is no limit to how far you can go like you, you get to be exactly who you want and the level of work you put into it is there and it's there's nobody there stopping you and I think this is one of those last worlds where people like we encourage as a chef, I know. And I think, you know, Grant Ackett's and Thomas Keller take on the same approach and the owner of provisions where I'm at right now. Like we not only want to see you grow here for our sake, but we want to give you the tools that when you move on, you're better than we are. Like we want you to be better than you were when you got here. So like you came in with these set of skills and now when you move on, you can be better and go on to do something better and keep developing and keep growing. And there's a lot of industries where you don't get that, that access. Yeah. Not only, you know, you kind of talked about it, not only that access to such talent, but also the very direct correlation to what you put in is what you get out. And just like you said, you can, clock in at your three o'clock shift and then clock out at your 11 o'clock and you can have your prep and you could have done all the dishes good and you cleaned your station and that's it. But it's when you come in at 11 AM, when you're checking with the chef, when you're doing those deep cleanings, I mean, when the inside of the fryer looks, you know, spotless. And so it's all those little extras and all those things, like you said, those equate to the difference maker at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think we, the the hospitality industry has also like, we accept everybody, you know, like I, I cannot remember the last time I asked somebody if they have a high school diploma, let alone a college degree. Like if you come to tell me you have a college degree, I don't care. You know, like who are, are you going to show up to work on time? Right. Are you going to give it your all? 
you know, like, are you, can you handle criticism? Like, I don't like, you don't have a high school degree. Okay. Are you going to show up to work on time? Like, do you have a good attitude? Can you handle criticism? Like, it's the same question. And I think we are the last refuge. Like, you know, Anthony Bourdain talked about it all the time. Like, we're the last refuge of someplace where you can truly make something of yourself. Like, you can, like, I am a perfect example. You know, like, it was either the Marine Corps or it was this, you know. And I think with hard work, you know, I didn't go to culinary school. I didn't go to college. I didn't. To, I didn't follow any of the steps I was supposed to do to become a chef, but I think I've again, I've surpassed where a lot of people are, and we welcome that. Like, you don't have it together, come work with us. You know, like you. Right, right. You're still you have, trying to figure it out. You're, All a, right. you're a mental trainer. Carmo, it is. Come hang out with us for a minute. You know, and that's what I think is amazing about the culinary arts and the the restaurant world. Especially Definitely. in this modern, this modern world, you know, where right where everyone has a facade that everyone has it together, and we all know what we're yeah. doing, and like you know, we being embrace misfit. the ones that are right. misfits. We like, you know, you you see, like, I've talked to a couple of people where I'm like, you seem to have it a little too together. Like, are you sure you're going to be a yeah. right fit? <laughs> you I don't know, know like, if saute is going to be like, the best for you. You tried to be a server, yeah, you know, so yeah. I love that. And I think it's, you know, uh, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, but the kitchen kind of being that band of misfits and, um, you know, we've kind of divulged into, I guess you could call it the psychology of it as, you know, the chef is kind of like that, uh, figure who kind of gives you that level of, um, criticism when you're wrong, but also that kind of paternal, you know, instinct where it's like, I'm proud of you. You did a good job. That chicken looks good. And I think for a lot of people who find that solace in the kitchen, like a lot of us do, it's that idea of like, I can prove myself. I'm worth this. You know, I'm able to produce at the level that is required and, you know, whatever establishment that might be three stars, two stars, one star. Absolutely. You know, I think that's one of the things that I got, like, you know, especially when you're a young cook that instant gratification you know like you're if you put something up and the chef says it's okay and it gets past the pass and it goes out like you have that instant gratification and as you progress as the chef like you see less and less of that but you still see the instant gratification of like okay i had this idea and it, it worked and the people love it as a thing but then also you know as you grow you, you're just learning, I think, to be a better person all around when you work in the, like as a chef. Like if you start, especially if you start like I did as a dishwasher or a busser, do dishwasher through the stages, you know, like you start to like, there's no reason I should know how now to like run a business, you know, but that's because I took those steps and I paid attention and everything to where you know, just like college or just like high school or just like anything else, you know, as long as you associate yourself with the right mentors and those mentors give you the same tools, you can get to the point where you understand food costs and labor costs and how to run a business and how to like put your ego aside and say, okay, the guests don't like this. How can we like, this is a business and in order to like be creative 
you know, you want to be a tweezer chef, you want to be the creative chef, that's great, but you have to also know how to run the business. And I think it's on, like the restaurant world is one of those last refuges where like the craftsmanship comes into play. Like there's always going to like, you're always going to have somebody starting at the beginning and you're going to have people throughout the stages who throughout your stages in your career, you're going to have those people there to support you and explain things to you and explain why we use everything and why you can't waste. And it's like, it's, you know, like back in the day, it was like construction or, you know, being a sailor on a pirate ship. Like, you know, you start at the bottom, you start at the bottom. And by the time you're 15, 20 years in, you're the captain of a ship and you didn't go to school and you didn't have any real world experiences, but because you stuck in and you, scrub the decks so you scrub the floors and you started at the bottom now you have seen everything from the bottom of the dish bit all the way through and now you're running your own pirate ship and i think that's right. like that's what i think is so exciting you gotta run the d-lime cycle on the dish machine before you can have your own ship exactly <laughs> so exactly you know speaking a little bit of about kind of passing this knowledge to the younger generation chef uh myself and vlad are notorious for kind of stalking the gram of our guest chefs and your plate ups. Uh, wow. Next level to say the least. And so, you. you know, plating is one of those things that even me who has nine years in the game and has worked for Michelin star chefs, plating is always kind of just a, um, it's a delicate balance between hyper organizing and then just naturally. So, what are, you know, maybe like two or three tips or tricks that you would kind of give, you know, the young culinarians out there who are trying to make our dishes a little bit more, you know, presentation friendly? Sure. Um, you know, when I'm plating a dish, like there's, like, I think the first thing is like understanding the ingredient, you know, where to come from, like what you, what you're, especially for someone like me, you know, like I, I've for a lot of that, I grew the food. Like, so I was part of it. There's, you know, my kids are part of it. Like there's a lot that goes into it, but understanding your involvement in the ingredient, you know, is it something you're obsessed with? Is it something that you're like, understand, um, and really understand, like, I think for me, it's letting the ingredient speak for itself with adding a little bit of level. You know, if it's a carrot dish, like you see that in my food where I let the carrot shine and really just kind of free form, you know, they in hip hop, it'd be freestyle. You know, I kind of just like, I don't overthink my plate, you know, and I know some chefs that really sit there and just like drive themselves crazy like well what can i do it doesn't need a puree doesn't need a foam doesn't need this doesn't need this and i most of the time just don't really think about it like i'll just kind of start by pulling the carrot like uh, carrots are a perfect example uh wood fire carrots became kind of like a signature dish for me if, if that's what you want to call it that's literally based on a freak accident you know like i was opening a restaurant with a, a winery in san francisco we were trying to use a new wood fire grill. We were trying to use a pellet grill that I had never heard of. So one got sent to my house. It got dropped off that same day. Uh, my daughter pulled all of our carrots out of our garden in our backyard. And I was like, well, we need to make dinner. I have a beer. I'm going to cook the carrots on the grill. You know, and that became something so simple as like, 
I didn't overthink it. And then just kind of as I was cooking the carrots and pasting it and seeing that's kind of where I started saying, okay, this flavor goes with this, this flavor goes with this. And it became something so simple. And I think if you look at my food um, and my dishes, there's a very simple aesthetic to it. You know, I try, sometimes I do go over the top, but it's very, you see what the ingredient is. If it's a beet salad, you see the beets. And usually that's, I like to take the same philosophy from, you know, nose to tail on an animal as I do with the, um, with plating, you know, I've done cauliflower where it was the entire dish, like is cauliflower from the start to finish where you get the, I take the leaves of the cauliflower plant and I make a pesto and I set that aside. And then I take some white cauliflower and I cook it and I make a pasta out of that. And I set that aside. And then I take the cauliflower, the leaves, the flowers, the roasted cauliflower, the pasta, and then the flowers, and I make a dish entirely out of that. So as you eat it, you're getting the entire life cycle of the plant. Um, I think with, a lot of chefs... With dishes like that, right, when you define that, it, you almost... The dish has to almost fit into what your restaurant is pumping out, right? Because sure. yeah, you have absolutely. to have that balance of, you know, leaves to, you know, to flower, to root, to whatever you are playing with it. But it does become, you know, I think that, also a big part of what it plays into in terms of how you plate and what you're putting on the plate and how much you're using of it is, you know, what type of restaurant you're running at the end of the day. Absolutely. And I think that also goes into a lot of everything. Knowing who your clientele is, knowing the restaurant, knowing the business, knowing the financial part is a huge part of the, the plating also. Um, and I think just, I think understanding who you are as a chef will open up your plating mentality. You know, I think for me, for instance, like I didn't grow up with Instagram and Facebook and this social media platform where people were telling me how to play food. Like I, I was, I, I feel fortunate enough that I came up looking at what a lot of other chefs were doing and not only from a cooking technique wise, but of lady and saying like i like that i like that i that's terrible i don't i will never do that and then kind of picking and choosing and i tell a lot of people this is the first time in my 20 year career in the past three years where i know who i am as a chef you know like i when i play food it makes sense for me as a person it makes sense for the chef as a chef the business and then also just you know for the ingredient speaking you know like if I'm going to use edible flowers, like usually those edible flowers come from whatever I'm doing. If I'm going to use microgreens, it makes sense. You know, like, am I using cilantro because it's pretty or does it make sense for the dish? You know, if I'm doing a puree or a foam or anything, it always, like, I sit there and I try to put myself into the guest perspective of, like, as I'm digging in and looking at it yes i want it to be full but as i take a bite like does it am i getting the full story of the ingredient and also does it make sense historically or for terroir like you know in the bay area does it make sense it i think a lot of people for plating make it not personal you know i think they think of their their plating as 
what other chefs do or what makes sense to another chef. And if you, and this is just for me, but you know, yeah. when I play food, I try to like to not think about what other people are doing and what makes sense to me with the ingredient at this exact moment, you know, oh, like definitely. what, like I, if I go out and I harvest the peppers or the carrots or the radish or the, you know, urban foraging and stealing people's fruit off their trees or not, like what, in that moment for that dish makes sense. And then it's my job to explain that and express it. And I think as long as you're, if you're being true to yourself and who you are, it cut like you can see it. Like if you look at my plating it, and then you get to know me, it makes sense. Like the, the food you can, like if I were to show you the cooking technique from start from harvesting all the way through, to the plate it makes complete sense you see that i'm not wasting um things that you might not understand from looking at a picture but then if i explain the cooking technique to you it all makes sense because everything is there you know if it's swiss chard but i don't want to use the stem i'll make it puree or i'll pickle it or i'll find a way to utilize that that you might not see in the actual plating but then as a guest and you're looking at it and you take a bite it all makes sense yeah and i think the big takeaway there, you kind of talked about it, is purpose-driven plating. That every element on the dish, whatever you, you know, compose, is there for a reason. Yeah, that exactly. It's bringing something to the overall experience. Exactly. Um, you know, the idea of putting a rosemary stem on a steak was, you know, avant-garde twenty years ago. But you think about what was the rosemary stem really providing besides sure, if exactly. they even burned it, maybe it was a little aromatic, maybe not, but uh, purpose-driven plating is definitely key. Or, yeah, or the half lemon on a, yeah. Everything. And it's not even deceited. It's not even deceited. Exactly. Like, come yeah. on, what's and going on here? You yeah. Know, and you know, I think, you know, even the grilled lemon wedge, you know, when it's charred, okay, it's charred. What's why? What's it? What's the point of that? What's it bringing to it? And right. or you know, like the like just something as simple tart parsley. Okay, it's there, but what is it bringing? You know, like if I'm doing wood fired carrots or confit carrots with the carrot puree for the stems, like I'll add chopped carrot tops from those same carrots as the parsley because it makes sense on the dish. And I think that's, it, it's one of those things where it's, you know, like Instagram is a great platform to see what other chefs are doing and see other techniques. And like, you know, like I try not to steal from other chefs, but I'll see a technique where I'm like, Oh man, that's great. That is a great idea. How can I utilize that? Or I'll see a technique and I'll be like, God damn it. That's a great idea. How can I utilize that? But I never try to, really say like oh that's something i'm i'm going to take that idea and i'm going to utilize it for myself you know right. like my plating literally starts for a lot of a lot is in the garden like for me harvesting like pulling the peach from the tree and looking at the tree and seeing the leaves and seeing the peach as it is and taking in the aroma from that moment and then starting to create something in my head. And I think that is a very pure way to look at plating. You know, if like Renee Redzepi and, you know, Christopher Costell at the restaurant in Meadowood, 
like a lot of their plating looks very simple and simplistic, but then if you hear the story behind it and you taste it, it makes perfect sense because, you know, height doesn't matter or being flat doesn't matter. If it makes sense to that dish, that's what it's all about. You know, like if I cook a radish in brown butter and then I make a brown butter powder out of that from the pan, to me, that makes sense because I use the butter to cook it. Now it's got that essence of that radish that I grew myself and uh, even losing that flavor into the butter, I want to utilize that. So I'm going to make a powder and sprinkle that on top. Yes, I'm using an avant-garde technique. Right. And I'm using something that I've learned, but it's also me trying to not waste any of that that I put my work into, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, what's a little maltodextrin here and there? Right, it's cheap, it's affordable. We can do- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm all about that. I think that everything that happened from, you know, 2000 to 2010 in terms of molecular gastronomy just slowly evaporated and you see very minimal touches on it now. Yeah. Like an espuma here and there. Yeah. I think I very think rarely. If, if again, if it if I'm looking at a dish and, and, and you know, like I think especially if you're a chef and you they follow trends. You can see when somebody's trying too hard, it stands out. And, but if you see something that's subtle and it's there and it makes sense, it's almost like job well done. You know, like you, like, like, because every now and then you'll look at something as a dish and a plate and you're just like, it's just missing something, you know, like it, it, what is it missing? It's missing that wow factor. It's like, okay, well this is corn and we have the puree, we have the corn, it's all there. What do we have? Well, we have the husks. Let's make a corn husk espuma, you know, and then, okay, we've utilized our waste. We've, and now we've brought that element of what we were missing, that like that cool factor that, you know, as chefs, we're like, oh my God, it's so 2004, it's 2007. But from a guest perspective, right, they weren't eating that at 2000. Exactly. You know, you know what I mean? Right, like that, right. from a guest perspective, okay what the hell is a corn what is an espuma what is a corn husk for some people and right. what is a corn husk espuma you yeah. know and, and I why think does the chef keep buying all this nautical equipment in the kitchen exactly exactly <laughs> and i think that's you know that's the way i look at plating is like as long as it makes sense and if you i don't want anybody to ever look at my food and try to figure out what is what i want people to be able to look at it and say like i get it job well you know job well done like this is the carrot dish and it's presented in a way that's you know i i i very rarely will ever go out and say like hey this is my dish you know like the, the farmers and the people like the cooks and the farmers are the ones who really did the work you know god like if you believe in god or whatever like the, mother nature did the work and i'm just trying to present that in a way that gives you know, a carrot or a credit squash. Credits, credits do, yeah. Yeah, you know, like I can't, like there's nothing I can do to make it taste better than try to use all of it to make it tasty. Yeah. So no. as, as uh, you know, as I'm kind of get through the story and uh, as we kind of start 
getting closer to our, wrapping up our pod, we're really interested. How was, you know, COVID for you, especially, you know, being in that, you know, fine dining environment, uh, being in a, you know, Napa Valley area, uh, you know, the Bay area, how was that, you know, what were those, you know, early, early days, early moments? What, what did you do? What was your COVID pivot in terms of, you know, the past year or so? Sure. You know, COVID was one of those things where I saw it coming. You, you heard people talking about it and I, you know, I was like, it'll blow over, it'll blow over, you know? And then, so back to the garden, I was plant like two days before they shut everything down was supposed to be my first pop up uh, in my garden where you you bought season tickets and then you know starting every once a month you get to go to the garden and have like a seasonal dinner so you can see the entire season life cycle from, first, of from the spring garden. Yeah. all the way into fall. You know, once a month you come there, you get to walk around the garden. The Napa River is right there. Chef's cooking there with the open, like a wood fire oven, a wood fire grill, everything, like pulling out of the garden, everything. And when it happened, I was like, okay, whatever. And then I started noticing that it wasn't going to get better. And so I kind of, you know, unlike a lot of people, I, I didn't hustle. And I kind of just took a step back. You know, I, I had been working up at this point for 18, 19 years, like nonstop. So I kind of just kind of took a break. Uh, my my dad had a stroke also right before COVID. So I went back to Arizona to help out with the family. Um, and I was just kind of took a step back. And I think that really kind of changed who I was as a chef. You know, I was cooking for the first time as a chef. I was making dinner with my parents and sitting down and eating dinner with my parents, which I realized had never happened. And hanging out, getting to know my parents and getting that connection where you hear a lot of chefs in their early career talk about, you know, like you hear a lot of chefs talk about the early stages in their life, cooking with their parents. I didn't have that. So now I'm recreating that and cooking over a Weber grill and, you know, teaching my mom how to grow carrots and, you know, like kind of role reversal and, it was kind of funny because uh, I know I know a lot of people that you know lost their businesses and struggled, but COVID really gave me like let me rebalance and decide who I was as a chef. You know, like I got to take a step back and say like, okay, who am I as a chef? Okay, I've kind of been a dick to a lot of people. I've been for a lot of people. How do I find that middle ground of saying look, okay? this is the old school world I grew up in. This is the new school world. How can I meet in the middle and be right. when things reopen a better mentor to cooks? And how can I be a better chef to the people, you know, to our guests and what our guests are going to want. And my food, I think got a lot simpler, you know, like, like it, 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 my food's not necessarily ever been really complicated, but now it's like I cook to make, true genuine happiness you know because i actually got to experience those times with my parents and you know like you know my father having a stroke made me realize that i don't have a lot more time with them and so that then of course made me think okay my kids how much time have i spent with my kids and i'm like oh, like i missed so much because i had to work okay let's resettle and that's so covid kind of saved me as a chef 
and made me realize that there is a medium between being the hardworking chef and running a business and being at work all the time, but also drawing those lines and saying, okay, like I will be here 12, 14 hours a day, but Sunday is my daughter's first recital. So I, we need to figure it out because I'm going to take that time. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be at my daughter's birthday or my son's birthday party or my son's baseball practice. And I think because of COVID, I had that year to step back and realize so many things. And, you know, it, it, it's hard now coming back into COVID and realizing how many people have lost their businesses or their careers or their industries or have rethought their careers. And I got to rethink my career too. But for me, you know, taking something negative and being able to look at something positive has really shaped a lot of who I am going to be as a chef moving forward, who I want to be as a chef, or not only who I need to be in order to mentor the next generation. But like, you know, realizing that they're, you know, it's not cool. It's cool to be a hard worker and show your kids that hard work pays off and showing your kids that work ethic, but it's not cool to be an absentee father because of work. So COVID's kind of been a, I'm still trying to figure out where, like hopefully soon I'll be able to be able to draw a line and say, this is what COVID taught me. But I think with all of America and the rest of the world, I'm still trying to figure out what COVID has meant for me. Yeah. That's like you said, it kind of, you know, gave you that opportunity to take a step back. Um, but also in that instance, I hope that, you know, five years from now, and, you know, I was guilty of this too. We don't all fall back into that habit of like, you know, 14 hour days, six days a week, we're just grinding and we don't see the other side. Uh, you know, myself included, I got furloughed um, from the very, very big uh, Florida company I was working for. And you kind of take that step back and you realize that, oh, wow, there's like this entire other world of you yeah. know, really important things that are going on, you know, right behind me. And I didn't even understand it. And so uh, I hope, like you said, you know, that COVID at least kind of showed us not only, you know, how valuable our time is, but how valuable chefs times are, gardeners, farmers times, supply chains, you know, the whole works of our industry, just kind of how fragile and valuable that it is as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's shown a lot. I think it's proven a lot in negative and positive ways too, you know? And I, I, like, for instance, I noticed you're wearing a true cook shirt, you know? And like, I love true cooks, you know? Um, But I see a lot of people, you know, like for me, for instance, like I know that I represented that old school chef mentality of like, I am bleeding. I cut my finger off. I'm bleeding everywhere. I put a glove on it and I've already been here for 12 hours and I have a whole another eight hours to go, but I'm going to fucking push through and I'm going to get it done. Like I know that for me, I've, I've done that. But then I saw a lot of people claiming and representing that lifestyle and then COVID happened. Now it's time to reopen restaurants, get back into what we started this. Like we are in the hospitality world. Like it's our job as chefs and cooks and servers and bussers to be there for our guests as we reopen to give 
our guests a place to be and a place to ha- like get back to normalcy. You know, like that's our job. That's what we like. That's the life we chose. And I see a lot of people falling back on that. And yeah, now, like, I'm where like, are you? I, all? I got like six. Yeah, now I cook see positions. like the come on, people guys. who are yeah. like, dude, you like, like my crew. I'm looking around. Like I'm looking around now at the restaurant, and I'm like, all of these people like rode through it. You know, they're here when things got bad. Like they rode through it. They, when they, then things got really bad. They rode through it and they're still here. And I'm like, dude, like this is like, and you know, that is also something that I've experienced with COVID is also like, who are the hard workers? Like who are the true cooks? You know, who are the true chefs? Like the people that are here, you know, like, and it's always the underdogs, like myself, you know, the ones who had no place ever being a chef and the, the ones who, like, you would never guess would be, like, they're the ones that you're like, this right, right. not going to work out. This person's driving me fucking crazy. And those are the ones now where they're your MVPs, you know what I mean? You're like, fuck, we'd be so they screwed that heart. without yeah. that person, you know? And then things are opening up now that chef walks in and you're like dude get out of here like i don't want you here (laughs) like i got i got these people here they got a good attitude they don't have cockiness they're just here to work and they'll be here to back us up that's another thing covid has really opened my eyes to it's like you know like who's really in it because hospitality is like you're in it or you're not you can be like you're born with it or you're not you know and for me like it wasn't the fact that I wasn't making money, I had savings, you know, like I find happiness in giving people happiness. Like I will never know true happiness if I'm doing it by myself because that's who I am. But if when I see a restaurant at full capacity doing what it's supposed to do and I walk out in the dining room and I see everybody happy and I see like that's where my happiness is. And like some people just kind of like bail on that. And it's like, dude, we're opening up as a country. Like we need to be there to give those guests that like, we need to be there to welcome people with open arms. And so like, we need to be there to take food off of the farmers who have been struggling. Like it's up to us now to say like, what do you have? Like, I'll take your waste, give it to me. I'll pickle it. I'll brine it. I'll grill it. I will make, give it to me. And I'll give it to our guests. And a lot of like, it's like, okay, well now the real, the real people with the true colors are showing. Definitely. And I know that's probably going to piss off some people, but whatever. And you said it, you know, from your perspective and your experiences and what you've dealt with, you know, in, in your personal area, you know, of expertise and like the area that you kind of, you know, are a part of in terms of like what culinary things are happening there and it's obviously going to vary a little bit here and there but for most of the country i I think it you said it you know you said the truth and the truth doesn't always sound good and it's not as easy to to swallow but yeah uh, i mean even it's truth you know a a lot a lot of uh, a lot of my closest friends who were you know going to be a sous chef within the next six months just completely went and moved into different industries or you know they had that time to relax and, you know, they went home and their brother was doing something else and they, you know, started doing something else. And 
it is it is hard to bring in, you know, not not to say, but like you know, especially in a fine dining environment, you've grown up in that as well. But they call you know line cooks and Comey's kids, and I always hated that. Never understood. Like I'm not I'm not I'm eighteen. I'm twenty two. I'm not a kid. But when it comes right. down to, are you like, gonna come and take care of this, and is this gonna be done? I think that you know at least seventy percent of those line cooks and commies are gonna find an excuse or find something to not you know not push through, and then you know your junior sous chefs and your sous chefs and people that you can you know hold more accountable, you give a little bit more of that you know respect because they are taking a little bit more of that responsibility as well. And, you know, I think that's, you know, very true is who do we have to rely on and who's, who's the backbone and foundation of, you know, what are we standing on today and where can we go forward is really like the people you have is what the menu is going to be. You know, it's not like you can, you know, if nobody's, you know, on that same page, then you need to figure that out to everybody gets on that same page and it's definitely a really hard time to come back as a cook. I mean, there's going to be a lot expected from you. The times are not going to be, the restaurant isn't a well-oiled machine anymore. I mean, there's yeah. been a pause. There's, there's been yeah, a the break. The machine's been down for an hour. Right. <laughs> an entire year. Yeah. So no, I, I agree with exactly what you're saying. And it's true. You know, I, the people I can rely on now are people I would never thought I would ever rely on. You know, the people that I thought I could rely on are gone, you know, and I'm like, they're like, I, you know, I slide into their DMs and I'm like, dude, you are such, dude, I'm not mad, but I'm just disappointed. You know, like you fucking like you, you, you claim to be like one of us and I, I drink your Kool-Aid and now I'm just like, where are you? Like, you know, like I, like I ask people who used to be my sous chefs who I used to depend on, like. Hey, can you come help me out just for a couple hours, you know, a couple hours a week? No, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm out of it. I'm like, really? You know, like, cause the, again, like the hospitality world, like it's like, you know, I don't know. I feel like we are a different world. Like we used to be a pack of band of brothers, like a, or a brothers band of sisters where it's like, they, they, we grind off of this, you know? And now it's like, really, you're not going to come help me out, dude. What the fuck? You know, but then, there was a time, you know, not to go into details and names, but like this restaurant I'm at right now in Vallejo, it was me and a 60 year old dude who has arthritis. So he only has two fingers and a thumb in one hand. And like, I would be screaming at the owner. I'm like, I'm opening and closing with two and a half, three and a half hands. Like we have three and a half hands running the line prepping cleaning cooking doing it all and i i was all over this dude but he stood by me and this guy i would have never ever in a million years in my post-covid ever put my balls in his nest you know and now i'm like you're my mvp i was like you and your one and a half hands like you i like you have my support like i will be there like nobody will ever fuck with you in my kitchen you know what i mean like i don't care what anybody says like i will go to bat for you over anything like if you go to jail i will get you out like you want to punch somebody for being a sucker i'll punch him too like you are my mvp and i 
that's one of the things COVID showed me. It's like these guys who are just out there with their tweezers doing all this amazing stuff. Like this guy wrote it out. Like I've been in his face. Like, you know, like I've done that. I'm not screaming at you. I'm screaming with you. Or like, you know, when he's looking at me, I'm like, just cook something, cook something. Like we'll need it eventually. Just cook it, you know, but he's, wrote it out with me and he's been there and not only that but he's grown and he's you know like we don't even have to talk to each other on the line anymore because it's just been me and him for three months to where we don't have to talk to each other we don't really even have to look at each other we just know what we're gonna do and now it's like the idea of bringing in more people to manage i'm like well we've kind of figured it out now you know like do we really want to bring in some of these yahoos like we've we got it, you know? And so it's, that's one of the other things COVID's done is like, it's really made me value the people that, that post COVID would have always kind of pushed to the side. doesn't make, but like, who are you as a, like, what is it driving you? Like, and that's, you know, as a, as somebody who manages people and manages people's careers and people's future, like now I have a totally different way of looking at things of like, you know, like I have this person over here who has Michelin experience, you know, with six months here and six months here and six months here, but you worked at Denny's for four years I think I'm going to go with you, you know, like, and that's something that I would never would have thought about, but because of COVID and my experiences since then, that's the way I look at things now. Like, you know, Anthony Bourdain said it best. Like I can teach anybody how to cook, but I can't teach character. Like I can't teach somebody to show, like I can't teach somebody to show work 15 minutes early, not because I ever told them to, but because they want to make sure they're here. I think that's yeah, a wonderful sure point that you coffee. you brought up with, you know, a lot of the young guys is, you know, especially what a lot of us preach is, you know, do your, do your time. Right. But like, you know, a lot of us have shortened that time where like maybe, you know, back in 2000, early 2000s, you do three to five years at a restaurant and then move on. And then it kind of shortened to, you know, three years here and there, and then one year. And now it's like what you're saying, it's six months. And, I, I completely agree that it's in, in six months in any restaurant, there's not like you're not going to be in the headspace where you're helping move the restaurant forward. Yeah, you you've know, just been getting it. You're just starting to understand. You haven't restaurant. even been through, you know, what uh, Giuseppe Tentori, you know, told me when I was uh, putting in my two weeks one time, um, you know, he's like, you haven't even been through four seasons yet. Like you don't know yeah. what you you don't know what winter and you know what you know what January through March is gonna bring to it. Like you don't you haven't worked through that, right? So like sometimes you you know you come in winter where you're like just completely slammed. Chef doesn't have any time for you, and you know once you get to that spot where okay, there's switching seasons, we're not as packed now. Chef has a little bit more time to give you and and kind of grow in that area. But definitely, you know, I think that's a great perspective that you pointed out is that the character at the end of the day is what defines a person. And if you're a chef that, you know, you spend six months and you keep moving on and keep moving on, 
where are you applying that knowledge that you're learning, right? Where, where yes. is that, what you're absorbing being put in? And only until you've really given enough time in a restaurant where you're like, chef, I, I really want to put these pea tenderels on this because it makes sense because I saw them, they're perfect, they're this. And you're like, all right, let's do it. And then you have that, you know, ownership that you're putting back into that restaurant. And then whoever works next, at like after you leave, is also going to have that, you know, ownership with that. So I think that's a very great point that you said is that now that your perspective has changed and you see the real situation in a realistic matter of what you have to do as a, you know, business person, as a chef, and what is the best move for your restaurant moving forward, especially in these times that, you know, as, as we're fully back open, it's not like it was, you know, it's not the 1920s. People aren't, you know, buying right. the, the, the six, 10, $15,000 bottles of wine for, you know, people are being a little more frugal. I feel like nowadays, especially markets and this and the new, yeah. I mean, holy, you know, yeah. it, it's no, hard it's to a different world. It's also not only just that, but it's also everything's still unpredictable. You know, like I know, especially here in California, we just stopped having to wear masks. You know, I'm fully vaccinated. You know, my whole staff is fully vaccinated, but all the counties around me are going back to masks again. And it's like, dude, are we going to shut down again? You know, but it's like, we as restaurants, we'll still be here. You know, we're still we have a commitment to our guests you know like right. we if you're like for me for instance like the idea of closing the restaurant that i'm at right now we're called provisions like we don't just do food like we're not just a restaurant like we make you know we sell everything charcuterie and everything out as a provision restaurant you know like pre-made stuff uh pastries coffee like where are a place you can go to be comforted, you know, and that's one of the things that drew me here. Like I had the choice of this restaurant that doesn't make sense for me to be at in Vallejo, California, uh, at a restaurant that's like not my style, but it is, you know, because like I could have chosen this or I could have chosen a restaurant in Berkeley, very well established restaurant, been the chef there and uh, did the 30 people a night tasting menu, changed every night, which is like something that that's what I specialize in. Or I could have chosen this restaurant where this is a restaurant that we cater, we we strive to give people someplace to be comforted and someplace to be happy and someplace that they are welcome. And I was drawn to this place. And I think if let's say that the restaurant, let's say everything shut down again, the core staff that I have right now, I know that if that happened at 9 p.m. and we were closed going into work the next day masks or not or everything like the staff that i have are going to be here on time not making excuses ready to work to make sure that every single person that needed something had what they needed so, you know if we had to go back to making you know we would do friday night suppers where it was three courses for 40 bucks or pre-making you know tv dinners my staff will be here. The staff that I have now are not anybody that I would have ever put my eggs in their basket, like I said, but I know that they would be here giving it their 100% at that, yeah. like without af me having to 
pull having those stupid lineups where we're trying to give them motivational speeches of why we're here. Like they would just show up to work with the same attitude, ready to do it, ready to take on whatever tasks and whatever, like as we evolved and said, okay, we need to change with the business. We need to change with the times. This is what needs to happen now. This is what needs to happen tomorrow. They would just do it. And that I think says a lot for myself as a chef. It was a fucking learning curve and it was like a slap in the face of like, I, who knows how many people in the past as a chef I ignored or didn't pay attention to or didn't put my energy into because I had this plethora. Now I have a whole new perspective on like, you know, who matters, you know, what, what matters, you know, like, again, can't teach people character you can't teach people hospitality you can't teach people how to care about the next human being you know like these cooks that i have now are not mission star chefs you know they're not even you know they're fast casual denny's cooks but god damn it they put they do exactly what i asked them to do they won't put out anything wrong they won't put out anything like they do it exactly the way i want to they're not trying to be pretentious tell me how i should do it but they put it out if it's burned, they won't put it out. You know, if we're doing pre-portioned dinners because of COVID, everything is perfect and they put it in because they're no deep down inside. Like some of these people, like they're stuck at home. They can't go anywhere. This is their, this is their highlight of their weeks. Their lifeline, yeah. Yeah. And this is something that this is, and they take pride in that, you know, and like that's, you know, watching like seeing them get frustrated if somebody's not running food you know because they know like we're giving it for the guests and that is a totally different perspective like it's always been my perspective but actually seeing it in the work is like it has been a very eye-opening experience yeah watching someone embrace that perspective and you know you kind of talked about it a little bit but as we wrap up you know, where can our followers, where can your followers kind of find you if they want to come, you know, see you, if they want to come try some of your food, uh, you know, what's a great, what's a good place to reach you? Yeah. So my Instagram, Chef Kyle Young or also Provisions in Vallejo, California. We're right at Virginia and Sacramento Street. Um, you know, being part of the community that is on hard times, you know, like if you come to this restaurant we're it. There's not nothing going on anywhere around us. You know, we're trying to like, we're hiring from this community. We're trying to give people the tools. Like if you want to be a chef and you want to be a cook or you want to be a server or barista or whatever, like come here and we will not only pay you a livable wage, but we will invest all of our energy into giving you every tool imaginable that we can to help because not only do we want it for a business sake, but like we want to see Vallejo rise up. Like Vallejo has been hit hard and then COVID happened. And, you know, the short amount of time I've spent here in Vallejo, you know, I like I'm loving the community and the community is embracing what we're doing. And yeah, I'd love to see more people, you know, like I don't care what your background is or who you are. Like we will accept you and take you in and, you know, you need some food. We'll, we'll, we got go. you covered there too. You know, so all you young culinarians out there, go check out Chef underscore Kyle underscore Young. Uh, definitely, like you said, go check out Vallejo, California as well. Quite a cool food scene up and coming out there. 
Uh, Chef, we just wanted to, you know, wrap up with saying thank you so much for spending the thank time you. with us tonight. Absolutely. Spending the time with me and Truffle Boy here, kind of going over so many important things in the industry. And um, it's always a pleasure having Absolutely. interesting thank perspectives you. on here and just being able to uh, divulge into, you know, all these little tidbits of information kind of help paint a bigger story of our industry. So we really appreciate that. No, I appreciate you guys. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Fun. It was awesome. Uh, awesome to get to know you. Thank you Absolutely. so much for coming on, and uh, we'll be showing you lots of love as as the day come. And uh, yes. you know, hopefully, we can uh, bring you back on and do a little bit Absolutely. more about you know vegetal stuff, and maybe check out you know as as we get along how you've been and what you've been up to. But we we definitely want to keep sure. this friendship uh, nice. Likewise, and- this is it's it's always fun to sit around just kind of talk shop you know like you know yeah you, you exactly. don't get that very much so it's always fun to just kind of sit back and talk to people who kind of appreciate the, the yeah show. And like, it's so awesome the, that we just get along together you know it's kind of like the conversation keep going for hours just exactly. out of uh, curiosity uh so did you work at or just stage at uh uh tfl it, that was a, a one-month stage so nice. in the times you were there was uh mark hopper a chef there Mark Hopper always had like grace, spiky hair, and would say, uh, house cleaning no, in the backyard. No, 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 but I know who he is. <laughs> okay, I mean, he's yeah. been, he was there, you know, they were uh, station partners with Grant Atkins, and yeah, then, that was way before my time. I and was then, there way, yeah, he stuck it out there when Grant went to uh, Chicago, and then. Once yeah. I ended up working at Royster, uh, Grant brought him as a, a CDC for like the linear group. Yeah. And, you know, we got a lot yeah, of I was that. There in 2000... No, no, go for it. You I were was there in for... 2012. I was there in 2012. So that was before my time. Got it. Yeah, I was with Timothy Hollingsworth at Grunewald Pine Nuts my first day. I, I probably had some. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I probably had some chefs who staged with you because I've heard the Brunois pine nut story a few times. Dude, I think they like fuck with us. Like, it's yeah, like, yeah. Because I don't know how to do it. I don't know what's happening. You look around. How thin of a blade like, and how sharp does your knife I have use, to be? I use my I use my meat slicer to nice. do it. Like my thin shun meat slicer. That's the only thing that could do it. Although everything else is like. As soon as I crumbled it, yeah. Pressure, I was like, crumb. And I was like, God damn it. Like, kind of throw it away, start again. And finally, I was like, started with this knife, worked my way through the knife bag. I was like, using my chicken knife, my parent knife, everything. I was like, oh, fuck, man. I was like, they're totally going to, like, I'm going to run out of pine nuts. Nothing yeah. beats uh, those moments yeah. where you're staging and you're just like, not in your comfort zone. And the only person you have is like, you and your inner voice and your mentors yeah. that like the guy next to you is like watching you hoping you fail yeah you know it's like there's like there like you don't want to go ask somebody like cuz you already lied you already bullshitted your way into it like hey, i got this i got this you know so you don't want to like set yourself up for failure but you know everybody's looking at you and but they're all watching you letting you fail so you have no choice but to like just like, oh, God damn it. Like, I got to make it happen, you know? And then finally, like, you figure it out. And then you start looking, okay, I have this many pine nuts. I need two and a half. Okay. If I don't fuck, if I stop fucking up 10 minutes ago, I'm good. 
you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, but, you know, again, it was like, a lot of people ask about that experience. And like, I love staging. I love the art of staging. Like, I think that's like the lost art of staging because if you're like, traditionally, when somebody comes to stage for me, I'm not paying you to set up a station. So I'm going to spend some more time. Like, you can ask me whatever you want because you're like, I'm going right. to make you do it now. And I'm going to like, and you know, like, so I didn't take it as an experience to see, like, I can read the book. You know, like I, I, I got the cooking techniques, but it was just watching the standards of service is I think right. was watching cool it actually like, watching the way they like clean and the way they work and the actions of people and the way they run service. And, you know, that's what I like. That's what I take from staging in places. It's not necessarily like, what are they doing? Am I going to like, I'm not going to write recipes. Like, yeah, I'm going to do what I'm asked of, but it's like watching people on like, you know, like, uh, like it's one thing that cutting tape before you understand, but then being like, like when you cut tape, you see exactly. And then everybody like, like pulling things from the walk and scrubbing things and everything. It's just like, you know, it, 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 it just, you start to run a kitchen completely differently because you start to look at those things that as a cook, when you're busy setting up your mise en place on a kitchen, you know, the, you miss those things, but then you take yourself out of and you can watch why everything else happens. Then you start to notice, oh, that makes sense. And then you go to your, like now when I walk into a kitchen, like, or like, I love going to eat and I watch, but now I look for different things. Not necessarily how is the guy cooking a scallop. I'm looking at like the, you know, the, the way they work together, the way they call tickets, like the way the chef, like manages the team, you know, that's what he kind of gets started. You know, I think, you know, what makes some of the best three mission star chefs in the world, the best chefs is not necessarily not, not taken away from any of them, you know, Grant Atkins, Thomas Keller, Christopher Costello, all these chefs are amazing and they have a vision, but it's being able to share that vision and get everybody on board and sharing. Okay. This is what I want. And making everybody understand. And that's what I try to do with all, everybody from my dishwasher all the way up to my cooks. It's like everybody makes a very important role. And like, yeah. you know, in order us for you to get to where I'm Thomas Teller and this is the French Laundry, everything has to just perfectly mold into that position. And that's what I think, you know, Saji and TFL and, you know, like I used to stage for 12 days of Christmas when I worked at Meadowood, but I didn't work at the restaurant at Meadowood, but I'd stage during 12 days of Christmas at the restaurant at Meadowood. And I get to see all these different chefs doing all these different things, watching the steps of standard service and stuff. That's, you know, again, as a young cook and as a young chef, what not to do and what to do in not, it's not just about the food. It's not just about learning recipes and technique. It's about like, understanding how to call tickets and how to make picks and how to like deal with guests for everything. And that's, I think will will help you if that's, you know, if this is what, if running a restaurant is what you want to do, I think going and staging at every restaurant you can and the more higher end you can, because even if you're a taqueria, if you have these, if you've seen these standards, the high end restaurants, you can apply them to any restaurant you know, food costs, everything will line up. 
Yeah, and it, like you said, it kind of broadens your horizons too. You start to realize yeah. what's what's possible out there. If you've never seen it done, then you don't know if it can actually be done. But being able to see it in action, in service, is is huge. Yeah. And yeah, like we said, Chef, just thank you so much for coming on tonight and, and sharing this knowledge with us and experience. Like Truffle Boy said, we're definitely going to have to do a part two of this. Uh, we could talk to you for to hours it. and uh, like all of our guest <laughs> chefs, it's just awesome to be able to be able to share experiences, share those funny memories. And um, there's just sort of a connection that we grow here, but we hope to grow with our followers and everybody listening at home. Uh, whatever you guys are doing, we hope that you guys kind of start to feel that connection as we continue to grow this community at Late Night with Chefs and continue to kind of build the symbiotic uh chef journey you know whether it's in the usa canada across the sea wherever that might be thank you so much guys thank you guys have a wonderful evening cheers thank you everybody stay safe and uh please like follow comment, subscribe and we'll see you all next